to the open side. Karim Bete. Lovely here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Mitch. Joining me this week is co-host Lockie. Lockie, how are you, mate? Very good. Very good, Mitch. Good to be with you. But I've got to be honest, I'm still in a bit of shock and a bit of mourning after the the massacre that we saw over the weekend. Um, I'm sure we'll unpack it in a bit, but how about you, mate? How are you going? Yeah, a bit of a busy week uh, away from rugby, so I'm much looking forward to getting into this podcast and just chatting some rugby and dissecting the Wallabies' performance against Fiji over the weekend. Not the result that we were hoping for, but uh, if if those of our fans listening online did catch our, our new segment, which we called The Wrap-Up, which Lockie and I posted out last Thursday, um, I called a draw. So when we were coming into that, I was thinking, I don't know if I can get on here and say that I think Fiji's going to win this. So I went with the draw. I honestly wasn't that surprised that Fiji did win, um, but I'll save that for when we get to the game. Um, yeah, I guess there's a lot of rugby content to get through. We will get through week two of Rugby World Cup 2023. Ando's not here this week. He's off marking assignments and being a general teacher and doing all those interesting teacherish things. Um not sure how much rugby he got to watch over the weekend. Maybe that's why he's just not showing up this week or he's just so upset with the Wallabies that he can't face uh, chatting through it this week. But Lockie, you and I, we can do that on Ando's behalf. Yeah, we'll stick up for him. It's been a bit of a tough one. And if he's in mourning, he's in mourning. <laughs> well, um, if you are listening to the podcast and you want to get involved in some way and be uh, a little bit more practical and hands-on with the Rugby World Cup. We do have a tipping comp. So we are running this tipping comp on the Rugby World Cup 2023 official uh, page. Now, if you haven't signed up, it is not too late. You can still sign up. I don't know if you'll get close to some of these guys at the top of the competition, but um, our code is GN36. I can't read the rest of that. Um, anyway, go to our socials. It's all on there, but <laughs> it's pretty small on my screen. The, the little code there, it's just a jumble of numbers. Uh, but for those that are in the competition, well done to our top three currently. Felix Nine is in first place on 166 points. X Bun L-S-6-7-X, whoever you, you are out there, is on 154 points in second place and we've got bone xv in third place on 146 now we have over 100 people in this competition lucky where are you currently sitting on the ladder oh, i would have wish you made it a top 10 i'm getting close i'm really getting close to that tipping one in fact i think if i have a quick look through i am no i am i'm 10th i'm 10th on 117 okay. so felix nine i'm coming for you um but also if you want to send me your tips to compare i won't be too upset about that one <laughs> Um, and we've also got fantasy running at the moment, Mitch. There's still time to get involved with that, yeah? Yeah, no, that's a that's really exciting new format, which we haven't done uh, for Super Rugby or, or any of the other sort of um, international competitions over the past few years. So we are running this for the, the Rugby World Cup and Rugby World Cup website has a really great platform for that. There's a, an, a snazzy little app. Uh, you get to pick your team based on who you think is going to do well each week. And then you um, gather points and whoever's doing the best uh, gets the best score. Now, Lockie, you're pretty excited about this because you're 
up the top of the table in that one, aren't you? No, I'm getting there. There's still just going through the top 10. We've got a few familiar faces in there from what I can see. We've got a, a Solza on top on 1,405 points. So well clear of second place, killing it. I'm back on 11th on 1,155. But there's been some, um, i got to admit, I've used some Camelot boosters <laughs> already. So I'm probably going to run pretty flat in these last few weeks of the competition. But a fast start, and if I burn out, I'll burn bright. So we'll just have to kick on and see how we go. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know if I'm in the top 100 for that one. Uh, my team has not been doing as well as I was anticipating. But none, nonetheless, it is a good, fun little bit of, uh, I guess, in some ways, it's almost like trivia trying to guess who's going to be the best, depending on who they're going up against and, and using your boosters wisely. But it is um, a fun little competition that I would encourage everyone to get involved with. So do go to our socials and you'll find the link to join both of those. Now, what are we going to cover tonight? Like uh, last week, we are in the middle of Rugby World Cup 2023. So this is week two. So we will start off with uh, the Wallabies' somewhat disappointing performance against Fiji in Pool C. Uh, We'll then run through the rest of the pools and and touch briefly on some of the results. Uh, Overall, probably not as exciting a week of competition as last week, shaped up to be week one or week three is going to be next week. We might not do a great deal of preview. We might save that for Thursday for our wrap-up. But, yeah, we'll definitely dive into the Wallabies' performance, sort of analyse what went wrong and what we we sort of thought coming out of that game. And then we will talk a little bit around future World Cups and what the World Cup, some news that's come out in the past sort of week or so around what's happening 2027 and beyond. And then the Wallaroos have also announced their uh, their 30 person squad for the upcoming Laura O'Reilly Cup and World 15 or World XV, uh, which we'll dive through as well. So I think that's a lot of rugby content to get through tonight. Let's um, let's leave it there and let's just dive into the Wallabies game. All right, I think we've put it off long enough. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's get into Wallabies and Fiji. Week two of Rugby World Cup 2023. Final score, Fiji 22, Australia 15. Now, leading into this, we did put our predictions in. I went for the draw. How did you think this one was going to go, Lucky? I I messed up. I'll be honest. Uh, About a week ago on our preview pod, I flagged, confidently flagged, a 20-point win was on the horizon because Fiji wouldn't be able to sustain the disappointment and the energy required after that Wales game. And I was so wrong. I've got so much apologising to do to so many people. <laughs> and I've already been hammered by a fair chunk of the Kiwis that follow scrum bags. <laughs> so you just worry about your own patch boys, and I hope the Italians do a job on you. But, yeah, I'm going to eat humble pie. We were, we were out-enthused, out-thought, out-played, and we were lucky to get a bonus point. Honestly, so you were pretty close with your draw prediction. Yeah, I was on track um, for a little while. Yeah. I was I was thinking that this yeah. was in the last maybe five or so minutes. I was like, this is actually looking pretty good um, for my draw. Probably a draw maybe not have would have been the best result for the Wallabies in terms of the permutations of the pool moving uh, further in and, and how the, um, I guess, the, the rest of the pool stages goes for Australia and Pool C particularly. But... Uh, we need to start off by saying, well done to Fiji. 
take our hats off completely, eat humble pie, as optimistic as we were as Wallabies fans, this Fijian team and this Fijian performance was fantastic. This has to be the the best performance we have seen by Fiji. I'm going to say to date, the the game against England earlier this year was was good and was a, a pretty um, big moment for them to get their first victory ever over England, particularly in London. But I think this game, Fiji dominated from the outset and put Australia on a heap under a heap of pressure. And Australia really, or the Wallabies, didn't have many answers to what Fiji were dishing up. You bang on. And what Fiji brought out was exquisite test match footy. I mean, we know that they've won sevens World Cups, sevens gold medals at the Olympics, but this is, without a doubt, the biggest moment in their 15s history. It's been mentioned, I think there was an interview with sevens legend Waisali Serevi, who said it's the biggest moment for 15s. Um, their post-game, their lock, Temu um, Mayana Vanua, I think, um, he said it's the biggest moment in Fiji sport and Fiji as a whole. Like, this is the impact that it's having. And if we take off our gold glasses and wipe away our tears, we can see that this has been in the pipeline for a number of years now, ever since the Drua first came into the NRC and won a comp after a couple of years, since they've been in Super Rugby and they've played finals already, regardless what you make of the system, and they've won big games against New Zealand teams. And this is just the flow-on effect from having a consistent, cohesive, top-tier unit. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy for Fiji to see it happen. I just wish it was against Wales (laughs) and not us at a World Cup. But there you go. We've got to grin and bear it. And um, a lot of credit has got to go to sort of Australian sport, working with Pacific sport to make it happen. It's really exciting to see the benefits of this come out. Mm. But we just got, got beaten to the post in every single way. I mean, we lost the ruck battle. Um, we lost the scrum battle. That was a, a match-winning tight head at the end of the game from Fiji. And we lost the kicking duel. Yep. We lost the strategic and place kicking duel to Fiji. And it's a credit to Fiji, but it's an indictment on how we ended up playing in that game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, four penalties in that first half, that's clinical test footy. Mm-hmm. How good is that from Fiji to see them be able to start putting away a side and apply scoreboard pressure? It's something we, coming into this game, we've seen how the Indrua have performed in Super Rugby Pacific this year. We've seen how the Sevens players have played on the world circuit. The Fijian style of rugby is very much up-tempo, keep the ball moving, uh, offload, central, just don't die with the ball, essentially. Just keep it moving, keep it flowing through the hands. This is actually not the game that, that is not the style that Fiji played this week against Australia. They played a very... Uh, smart rugby, the very tactically driven game. They uh, intently attacked Australia's breakdown. Uh, they were, whatever, uh, I don't know if we say duly rewarded in that regard. We'll probably get to some of the refereeing decisions a little bit later. Uh, but they put Australia under a lot of pressure. They were very clinical in the way that they kicked the ball, that they held possession in certain areas of the field. Their set piece was fantastic. Their line-out struggled at times. That was probably the only area where the Wallabies actually seemed a little bit dominant. Um, But in saying that, the Wallabies flipping the coin over to them, what was the game plan? I was watching the mini just before we came into this game, uh, into recording tonight, just to sort of have it fresh in my mind. And the thing that jumps out to me 
was there was no clear game plan to me as a pundit sitting at home watching from Australia. It felt like the idea for the Wallabies was let's give it to our biggest blokes and see if we can just break the break the the line. Fijians aren't great at tackling, so let's just try and push through them. I mean, that's just it's barbaric. It's just ridiculous in in that we were having so consistently so many just one up uh, runners, no pod systems, nothing, t- getting smashed a- back against the game line, making negative meters at time and time again, and yet not ever looking to do something else, not putting the ball through the hands, not having set back plays or, um, or effectively kicking out of territory. We just didn't seem to know what we were doing and there was no one that was sort of directing uh, the Wallabies around the field. You, you bang on again. And I think that lack of direction and that lack of creativity and attack was exposed brutally because even, you know, if you apply that game plan with the outs that we had, so you put Will Skelton, you put Taniella Tupo, um, you bring in Alan Alatoa in, you know, these big, heavy ball runners, Ponethalma Silly, I mean, you're still sending them one out. So imagine doing that with a team that's half the size of the pack you think you've got and sending it to the Levani Batias of the world who are just monstering you time and time again. It was lambs to the slaughter. Um, and then in the in the back line, uh, I mean, Carter Gordon, Gordon, sorry, didn't have his best game. I think we can be pretty honest and upfront about that. Uh, and the kicking out of hand was dreadful. I mean, a couple of occasions where we've got the ball with, you know, some space and some room to move and we're kicking it away and we're kicking it dead. Um, Jordan Pattaya, Sliasi Bunavalu, um, Mark Nwanganidawasa, they all had kick errors throughout Nick the White game. Nick White as well, yeah. And yeah, Nick White, absolutely. That that box kick made me scream. Nothing. Nothing was <laughs> Sitting on. Sitting at home would watching you kick it? <laughs> Just outside the 22. And even if it goes out, yes, the line-out's working, but keep the ball in hand. But it's not a 50-22 from where you've kicked it. Like, so... No, it wasn't a 50-22. Why are you it was, it? Oh, I mean, so many infuriating parts of that game. Um, I, I'm trying to look at some positives. You mentioned the line-out, which worked well. I thought Nick Frost had a really good game uh, defensively in the line-out, showed us what we're missing um, with having a heavy two, like Will Skelton, who isn't a dominant jumper. So that's a positive. Um, Rob Valentini, I thought, still played really well. He got sort of sent up against that you know, Fijian wall a few times, but he still cop- topped our carry meters, our... Um, carries with ball in hand, our tackles. Uh, he he never gave up. Um, outside of that, I'm finding it really hard to see positives from this game. And all the positives to mind came from some of the Fijian performers. Um, uh, Simeone Curavoli was unbelievable at halfback. Um, they actually lost a lot with Lamani coming on towards the end, I thought, both out of hand and off the tee. Uh, Justu Tuisova, who's already known as a beast, had the game of his Fijian career yep. playing at 12. I think moving Radradra out to the wing and putting him in was a masterstroke. And um, and Levani Bodia, who we mentioned before, uh, was terrifying as a seven and really, I think, outshone Fraser McRide. He got a bit exposed both physically um, either side of the ruck. So... What do we? What do we? Where do we go from here? Do we have any positives to look at? Let's focus on the lead up to this game for the Wallabies. So, yeah, the squads announced on Friday, Thursday night, Friday morning Australia time. At that time, Taniela Tupo is not named in the team, and he's been confirmed as out with a calf injury or a hamstring strain. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, 
there's question marks that day at training that come up when the the squad's preparing to to play Fiji and Will Skelton has been named at captain, but he's not training and he's not um yeah, he's not seen at training and he's not um with the team. The media asks multiple times throughout Friday, throughout Saturday in the lead up, Sunday as well, um, Australia time, in the lead up to the test, is Will Skelton playing or not? And the answer is, we're not sure we're giving him as much time as we can to to get fit and to play the game. It's announced pretty much an hour before kickoff that no, he's not fit. He he arrives at the stadium in a moon boot and um, that causes a shift with Arnold coming into the starting side and uh, Philip coming in onto the bench. Now, whether you agree with the tactics and the communication that the that Rugby Australia or Eddie Jones or whoever is responsible for this has gone with here, you would imagine that the Wallabies knew that Skelton most likely wasn't going to be playing in their preparation leading up to this game. So you can't necessarily say that the the effect of Skelton not being able to line up on Sunday morning or Monday morning, Sunday afternoon in France was a determining factor in the Wallabies not being able to perform. It wasn't a last-minute scratching like we saw Sam Kane in the opening uh, World Cup game for France uh, against France. But it's still, it, it's confusing and it's frustrating that there's not a clear communication from Rugby Australia around what, what is happening, who who's playing, who's not, what's the lineup going to be. Uh, and then coming into the game, we have lost two of our most influential players in terms of game impact, Taniela Tupo and Will Skelton. And yet we don't seem to adjust the style of play to cater for the outs or the ins, the players coming in to replace those. Now, James Slipper is a fantastic player and probably one of the Wallabies' best over the years, but he's not Taniela Tupo. He's not going to have the same game-breaking impact that Taniela Tupo has. Arnold, conversely, is a good option at four or five. I think he was in for the five jersey, but he's not Will Skelton and he's not going to have as dominant carries and and game-busting lines that Will Skelton plays, yet we're still playing that style of game plan with those players not in the team. It's just kind of frustrating that it didn't seem like, or it seems like Eddie Jones had this style of play in mind leading into this game and that he somewhat didn't expect Fiji to play a, a smart counter-intuitive or counter-productive style against us. Like it almost expect he it almost seemed like he was expecting Fiji to play sevens rugby for the majority of this game. And when they didn't, he didn't have an answer or he didn't have any way to shift the game plan. Yeah, and he's fessed up in fairness. He's come out in the post-match and said, the loss is on me, it's my responsibility you know, throw the baguettes and the croissants or whatever he, you know, tossed out at the press conference. But it it speaks to a wider concern about do, do the Wallabies have the capacity to change their structure and their game plan when put under pressure or when put under strain? So I, at the moment, I don't think we've seen them successfully adjust during a game. Uh, I would argue that up until this game throughout the year, we've seen progress. Um, I think we can safely say that the change in the side that played in Pretoria to the side that played in Dunedin and then even elements of the Georgia game, there were improvements and steps along the way. There was more more coherence and we had better set pace. Our attacking ruck was improving. And then against Georgia, our discipline was really good. 
But you flip the switch. We, we considered 18 penalties. 18 penalties in a crucial World Cup game that Eddie Jones marked as our most important, and we give away 18 penalties, many of which were with us ball in hand. Mm. So we're, we're wasting attack. opportunities. Yep. I think there were four, yeah, four occasions in the final 10 minutes where we've been pinged on our attacking breakdown, which is criminal. So that's an inability to clear the first man at the ball. or So it's either a technical issue or that's a speed and effort to get to the ruck in the first place. And that, in a, in a World Cup pool game, is really tough for fans to see because no one's doubting that our Wallabies have heart and we, we back them all the way. We want to see them do well, but it's, it's really hard to watch that unfold in front of us and i just I, I have hope and i have belief that we can go out and do a job against wales because i truly don't fear wales the way that i feared this fijian game but we've just been left with a mountain to climb now so there's two there's two points that i want to focus on and both of them really sit under the umbrella of what was eddie jones thinking and what was his game plan so the first mm-hmm. point of confusion and contention for me was his handling of carter gordon now coming into this tournament we all know he only picked one fly half in his 30-man squad or 32-man squad, whatever it is for a World Cup. No backup. It's become evident that Ben Donaldson is that backup, but he's playing 15. So when asked in, in the lead-up to the World Cup, well, who's why, why have we not got Quay Cooper? Why have we not got Bernard Foley? Where's Noel Alessio, for example? Uh, Eddie Jones said, no, I trust Carter Gordon. He's he's the future. He's the guy that I've chosen to lead this team at, at fly half, and he's he's our guy. Yet in this game, and we've said it before, Carter didn't have a great game, and that's fine. It's kind of to be expected uh, that a player of his age and his experience isn't going to be able to fire against every, the top teams in the world, particularly under the pressure that he was put under by Fiji, and all credit to them, they definitely put him under a lot of pressure and they put him, they kind of um, dampened his impact on the game. So he hooks him at the 50th minute. Now that causes this massive shifting and, and jumbling of the back line. Uh, ben Donaldson shifts from 15 into fly half. Nwangani Tawasi goes from the wing into fullback, which he's played barely a few minutes for the Waratahs in that position this year in a similar sort of circumstance when there was injuries and it was just something that had to happen. And then Vunuvalu comes in off the bench. Now, if Carter Gordon is your choice, is your man, is your fly half, your sole fly half in the squad, why would you pull him off in the 50th minute? What's Eddie Jones's plan moving forward now that it, it sends a clear message to Carter Gordon that, no, you weren't good enough? And I don't have faith in you seeing out a game that is as crucial as this one was. It just, it's mind boggling. It's tough to say. And it's always been under the spotlight with Australian 10s as well. This sort of missing generation that's spoken about. And we saw Dave Rennie do the same thing as recently as the Welsh test last year. You know, Ben Donaldson's put on for the first half um, in just his second outing after missing the you know kick to beat Italy. And he has a pretty average first half. And then it's, of all people, Noel Alessio who comes on and actually steers that Wallabies win. So it's not the first time we've seen a 10, you know, be backed and this is the change of the guard and then hooked. Um, I think in stand coverage, Sonny Bill Williams um, actually had quite an insightful moment saying, you know, he'd actually, you know, I don't know what they're doing with Carter Gordon. I want to see him give another shot. 
because for a young fella's confidence being pulled like that would be a tragedy. Yep. And it kind of is. Like I really feel for, for Carter Gordon with all the pressure that's been placed upon him. And especially as a as a young bloke, like this isn't a you know seasoned Richie Moang or a Andre Pollard or a um a Jalibert who has been there and done that in a World Cup. This is a young bloke who you know would only have a handful of wins to the Rebels. Yeah. To his pro credit, this isn't a, exactly a successful winning environment that's been fostered from a young age. Um. So yeah, it's it's tough to see. Um. I'm not sure whether I would have done the same. But, you know, how far does emotion go if Eddie really thinks that Carter wasn't the man to do it and Donathan is, then why wasn't that the case from the get-go? Like, it's a, it's a tough position. But he's also he's put, he's put himself in ben such Dolls. a difficult situation by choosing Vunuvalu on the bench. Vunuvalu is an out-and-out mm. wing. He can't play centre. He can't play fullback. Andrew Kellaway mm. has been one of the Wallabies' best in the past few years, and yet he hasn't had a minute at this World Cup. He's had barely a minute under Eddie Jones since Eddie Jones came back. Now, putting him on the bench, which we probably will see in the Wales game next week, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a, later in the week. He is such a versatile player. He can play fullback. He can play wing. He can play center. He probably could, at a very, very bad situation, play fly half if needed and be okay at it. But he's just not getting minutes. Now, the second point that I wanted to, to touch on is one of the comments that Eddie Jones made in the press conference after the game when asked kind of around selections and what his sort of philosophy was and why he pulled Carter Gordon. And one of the stats that he brought up as the coach was, well, we have to realize that this Wallabies team, the bench particularly, has the least amount of caps since like 1996 or something. Like I can't remember the exact year it was. And I just sat there thinking, don't use that as an excuse. You name this squad. You can't come in and start using this inexperience. These guys don't have the experience. They don't have the caps. They're not, you know, almost saying they're not ready for this level yet as an excuse of why we didn't win the game. When we have guys at home who have played Australian rugby, Australian super rugby for the last five years, four years, who you didn't select, Michael Hooper, uh, Brad Wilkin, uh, Ryan Lonigan, like some of these guys, Carter Gordon, uh, uh, Bernard Foley, Quade Cooper, those guys at fly half, whether they're included or not, that's a bit here or there at the moment, considering where, where they're at and their age and whatnot. But don't start using the inexperience as an excuse. We have guys at home that didn't get picked. Michael Hooper is a key example of a player who would have had a much bigger impact on this game if he was selected. Now, Fraser, Wright, Fraser McWright wasn't bad this week and he hasn't been bad this tournament, but he also hasn't been outstanding. I haven't seen him do a great deal. Uh, whether it is the game plan that we're bringing into this World Cup, I have not seen our presence on the ball in the last two weeks. Now, it was something we, we mentioned earlier around Fiji's dominance at the breakdown and they were getting counter-attack. They were getting uh, rewarded with their jackals and, and getting turnover ball quickly from our attack. We weren't dominating their their breakdown like they were ours. Mm. We needed someone like Michael Hooper, who is an on-ball presence, to kind of realize and has the experience to sort of say, okay, guys, this is what's happening. This referee is just blowing penalties for anyone who gets a fingernail on the ball at the moment. We need to go hard at the breakdown. And we didn't have that change of tactic this week. 
Yeah, you're right. We didn't adjust at all. And then you think about sort of the roles of Jackalers and who they are now in a team, and you see like the, the Dontes of the world who are a 12 that can Jackal, or even um, the hooking role, which has now become almost like another Jackler as well. We didn't see those players in those positions step up. I saw Ben Donaldson get a good turnover and like you need to be versatile and be able to do it everywhere. But yeah, not having a set Jackler has been tough to see, especially when that's a a point of pride for I think Australian teams going through. We've got a you know storied list of open sides, and it's certainly not a knock on McWright, who's a really good on baller at Super Rugby level. But yeah, he's been he's been pretty well contained these first two games. It will be a great challenge for him against Wales against Jack Morgan, um, which I'm keen to unpack in the previews. But yeah, there's a there's an interesting week coming up, and um, I, I kind of shudder to think of what our pods might be next week if we're coming in off the a result against Wales that I don't even want to verbalize at this point. <laughs> yeah, look, it's um this is the frustrating thing is and and for both of us, look, you you work for Rugby Australia, so you can say you you, you know, in some ways your hands are tied a little bit. You've got to keep your job and keep your your bosses happy, which is fine. But the frustration for my for me as a Wallabies fan and for the thousands of people that have travelled to France to support the Wallabies. For I heard a number today that there's 50,000 Australian rugby fans who are supposed to have bought tickets and are travelling to the tournament over the course of the whole tournament um, to support the Wallabies and I guess just to support rugby because who knows how far we will go at the moment. But the way that the Wallabies performed this week and the way that they performed last week, it's not... It's not instilling any kind of faith or um, reward in being a fan and, and putting your hard-earned money on the line to go and support these guys. Now, we've had the, the World Cup is the pinnacle of our sport. And for Eddie Jones to come into it and to, first of all, name the team that he named moving in, uh, leaving the big names and the, the players who have been so important for the Wallabies in the past few years, Michael Hooper and Quade Cooper and those those big names at home to not even feature in this squad. And then to come in and to, to have the bravado in the media to sort of talk about this smash and grab that we're coming in and I'm confident we're going to win the world cup. You know, we're going to, we're going to smash everyone in our pool and we're going to catch everyone off guard. We're going to play this really different style of rugby that no one's seen before. We're playing Eddie ball, all these kind of comments and this bravado that he's had in the media. And then when we get into the pool games, we don't seem to have any idea of actually what the game plan is and the players don't seem to know what the right decision is to or the right yeah decision is to make at certain times. Kicking balls dead, putting uh, the ball on the toe when it should be just put through the hands, just not really putting the opposition under a whole lot of uh, pressure or um, putting our stand our stamp on the game. What it speaks to me now is a test of character, right? So we've come in with a squad that few people expected, with a captain that even fewer expected that's already changed in two games due to injury. And now we're staring at the brink of exiting at the pool stage. That's not a you know terrifying thing to say. That's the reality we face. If we lose to Wales, we're not making it out of the pool. So. Can this Wallabies team turn it around? Can Eddie Jones and this 33-man squad prove 
everyone wrong, right? Because there is so much doubt in the, on the world rugby stage and internally that this Wallabies team can do it. Personally, I believe that we can beat Wales. I absolutely think that we can do it. They're not as scary to me as Fiji. And we'll dive through that Portugal game in a tick, but they got just about pants by Portugal in every facet <laughs> except the scoreboard. So Wales, I don't fear. But what I fear for is this group of Wallabies not living up to the expectations that they set and that we set for them. Mm. Like we're, We are a proud rugby nation, but we need to get the results to back up that pride, yep. right? So we haven't played in a, we haven't won a final since '99. It's been you know 2015 was a charmed run to the final, but 2019 was not a great campaign. We need to prove people wrong, and it becomes the greatest test of character, I think, for a Wallabies team. Oh, maybe even since 2003, since that you know terrible lead in through the Tri Nations, getting pasted you know 50 points against us by the All Blacks in Sydney before a home World Cup. That's the kind of pressure I think this team is now under. And I'm so curious. I'm excited as a fan and I'm desperate to see them do well because that's now the point we're at. 20 years from probably our biggest test on the world stage, that's what we're facing now. So can we do it? I think we can, but it's just, it's so much to overcome for this unit and how they go, we'll just have to wait and see and I'll be hanging on every second. It's almost like we're staring now at Mount Everest. Just the road yeah. out of this pool now has been so complicated. We've made it complicated for ourselves that we- I, t- I tell you what, that bonus point, if Fiji make that kick at the end, if Frank Lamani hits that after full time, we don't make it out of the pool. No, we're out. Yeah, definitely. We genuinely don't make it out of the pool. So we've been given a lifeline Bloody hell, we've got to take it. We need to take it because it's mathematically possible if we beat Wales, we've got the 1v1 against them and it becomes a matter of pasting Portugal and doing a number these next two weeks. So it's possible, but it's entirely in our hands. From what I understand it, for those at home, the the kind of calculations of what happens now, uh, for the World Cup, how this tournament works, if they at the end of the pool stages, if teams are tied for points, there's not a clear first and second in the pool. It doesn't come down to for and against. It comes down to whether you won in your pool game. So there is a real uh, chance that at the end of the pool stages, Wales, Australia, and Fiji could all be on the same points. Now, because Wales beat Fiji, they would get in above them. Since Fiji beat us, if we are all tied for the same points, they would get in over us. In that circumstance, we wouldn't make it out of the pool. Now, what we need and we're relying on is to beat, to to ensure we get out of the pool as successfully as possible next week, we need to beat Wales with a bonus point and deny them a losing bonus point. That gets us out regardless. If we don't do that, if if we get a losing bonus point, I don't think it's enough. I think we're out completely. No, we need we've got to a win. win. A, minim- a minimum is a win. Yeah. So we need to win and then there's still a chance. We need to then, I think we need to beat Portugal without letting them get a bonus point against us. We need to, yeah, we need to win with a bonus point there, um, which, you know, is going to be a big challenge for this Wallabies team, I think, at the moment. But let's try and wrap it up. There is a lot more rugby to chat through. Is there any final thoughts you want or any final comments you wanted to say about this game? Yep, buy yourself a Georgian jersey because we are backing Georgia for the next two weeks like you would not believe, especially against the Welsh. 
because really no one wants to see Wales go through. I want to see Fiji make the quarters. I just don't want it at our expense. So get behind the Lilos these next two weeks, especially against Wales. But let's let's crack on to these next games. Hey? All right, so pool A is my pool, so I'll, I'll run through these quickly. So we had uh, the... The top teams against the Minnows uh, this week. So France, Uruguay, 27-12 was the final score there. Now, leading into this game, uh, I think a lot of people were expecting France to be dominant to come away with a win. I don't think we expected Uruguay to come as close as they did. Now, Uruguay played a really great style of rugby. They were fantastic to watch. Uh, it, by, I think there's a lot of people out there who maybe are neutrals in just rugby in general, don't have a team to back. Uruguay is quickly becoming everyone's second team because they were fantastic to watch. The passion that they played with, the amount of pressure that they put France under was awesome to see. And they made France work for this victory all the way to the end. 100%. They really exposed the lack of depth at nine, I thought. Um, not having DuPont on steering things around. Um, Maxime Luc, who is, you know, doesn't hold a candle. To Antoine Dupont, and I know Dupont's a fantastic player, but they looked quite rudderless um, without their, you know, petit general. So all I can say is, you know, if Luku's on, absolutely sack him. But yeah, backing Los Terros 100% of the way, they were brilliant. Uh, the second game for Pool A was New Zealand against Namibia. Now, this was always going to be a cricket score. Final score was 71-3 to to New Zealand. I got to admit, I was actually expecting New Zealand to get a fair bit more or score a few more points in this game. I was thinking maybe 90 or 100 against Namibia. Um, I th- there was a bit of a, a big downpour of rain about 10 minutes into the first half, which I think in some ways slowed New Zealand down a little bit, stopped them scoring as many points or as, as many tries. Uh, but, you know, the, the team that New Zealand picked this week was a pretty big team considering that they were coming up against Namibia. Uh, we had um, Damian McKenzie came into 10. We had Cam Roydgaard at, at, fly, at, at nine and he scored two tries and he's starting to sort of really put a lot of pressure on Aaron Smith, I think, to, to, to be that player later in the tournament when they get to the sort of do or die stages to see which way um, Ian Foster goes there. But we all kind of expected this result. Namibia, they did well to get three points, I think. Um, didn't really put New Zealand under a whole lot of pressure. Uh, unfortunate for Richard Hardwick because we know what um, a good player he can be when he plays for a team like the Rebels. But it's a pretty it's a pretty hard watch when um, you come up against one of the best teams in the world, seventy one to three. A question for you before we move out off this stage, and something that I've seen um, mentioned on on social media this week. Do you see? Or the question was: Is there value in having games like this? a minnow team up against one of the top teams in the world, 71 to three. And the, the person that asked this was sort of saying, surely this, this doesn't actually do anything to favor that tier two nation who's coming up against a powerhouse and isn't actually going to realistically stand a chance. Conceding 60 or 70 points is not a good look. What is your thought on that? I totally disagree. And the evidence is directly above it on our score sheet. No one's expecting, I think, Uruguay to come within 15 points of France and deny them a bonus point. So sure, like there'll be a blowout every now and then, but we've already seen, you know, Romania score the first try against Ireland and the roar of the crowd, Chile doing the same thing against Japan. Well, Uruguay um, scored the Uruguay. first this week against France. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's all part of the, the rugby narrative and what rugby has over, you know, sports like, um, you know, our main competitive rugby league 
is that there are teams from everywhere that can compete. I mean, you're not really going to see something like that in that 13-man code and the World Cup over there is a bit of a bloody joke. But this is the occasion where, you know, teams like Los Terros can step up and have a crack at the host nation and deny them a bonus point, which is huge in this pool coming through. It could lead to something you know, really interesting happening with that top seeding if Italy can give France a good shake. Um, but, yeah, I think you need to keep these games. And credit to Namibia. They've played against the All Blacks in the past three consecutive World Cups. And I saw a really cool thing out of um, Namibian media with the captain, um, Johan Dazel, swapping jerseys with Anton Leonard-Brown, which they've done at a past World Cup as well, which I thought was a really cool note. But, um, yeah, interesting ones out of Paul A this weekend. Well, that, let's look at how things are, are sitting uh, on the table after week two of the World Cup. So we have France in top spot on eight points, followed closely by New Zealand on five points. You then have Italy in third place also on five points. Uh, we then have Uruguay and Namibia following behind both yet to get a win in this tournament. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of it for Pool A at the moment. Lots more rugby to be played in the coming weeks. Uh, let's dive across into Pool B now, which is your pool. Is that correct? Yeah, the whirlpool. We're back into it. Um, <laughs> first one of this weekend was Ireland v Tonga. Had a lot of hype coming in from the Tongan side because it was their first game of the tournament. And that's how it kind of looked as well. The first 20 minutes were really tight in this game. Um, obviously ended up 59 points to 16. Ireland backing the bonus point win. Um, maybe a bigger margin that some expected. Certainly a larger margin than I expected. But that first 20 minutes, um, yeah, Tonga weren't cracking at all. Uh, it took a really nice uh, interplay between um, Johnny Sexton using their attack back in towards the ruck, sort of dragging the defenders away and then peeling back in past the pillar defender. Um, it was a really nice try for tide burn to open that up. And from there, um, there was a bit of a turning point uh, 26 minutes in. When the wheel started turning, um, there was a really soft penalty given away from Solomon and Carter, James Lowe milking a bit of a late shot, and it immediately turned into a penalty, rolling more try, and then bang, the game just sort of getting away from Tonga. Um, Mac Hansen scored a brilliant try, stepped inside about four players and scored all himself, just reminding us what we're missing out on. Um, but highlight of the night, regardless of the score blowing out, uh, Charles Piertau did the filthiest, most decadent sidestep I've ever seen. Left um, Irish fullback Hugo Keenan for dead on counter-attack. Just broke both ankles, left him kneeling on the floor. It was beautiful. And like seeing Charles Piertau at the top stage, I know he carves up for Bristol and you know he's a staple of European rugby, but we don't know what we're missing with this guy. He truly could have been a hundred cap all black if he'd stuck around and nailed down that spot for the better part of a decade. So I'm quite glad he didn't. Um, but there you go. It ended up blowing out Ireland, banking the bonus point win. Um, yeah, Bundy Arkey again, incredible at 12. If he's in your fantasy team, well done. Um, and Connor Murray and Tideburn, really impressive as well. Plus um, Willie Harvili for Tonga. Um, you might have seen him running around for Moana or for Tasman if you watch the NPC. Um, he's been really good um, both off the tee and um, around the park as a playmaker. So that was great. And then across to South Africa, Romania, which was a bit of a procession, if we're honest. The, um, the Springboks rolled them 76 points to nil. Um, what can I say? The box had a bonus point after 12 minutes. Yep. 
um, hat tricks to Makazoli and PP and Kobus Reinark. Um, really, it was a total mismatch. Um, this is probably the only game uh, where I thought about your question before, <laughs> and maybe you know, is it tough seeing these minnows play? But you know, Romania had a couple of good cracks. They just missed out on half time, a rolling ball try, sort of just went astray and they lost possession near the line. Um, but yeah, if you're after sidesteps, um, go watch the highlights from this one. Um, Damien Willems uh, murdered a, a stack <laughs> of Romanians on the field. Grant Williams and Makazoli and Pipi, uh, Vili LaRue, they all stepped their way through a pretty weak defensive line. Um, and all I can say about it was that it was a, a lesson in clinical rugby. You know, you're playing tournament footy, you're against a tier two nation, bang, 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 there's your bonus point roll on the subs and pile on the pain. So credit to South Africa and well done, Romania. It doesn't get much easier with Scotland and Tonga, but we are backing you in Pool B. <laughs> um, and that takes us back over to Pool C, Mitch. Well, so the, the final standings after two weeks uh, of the World Cup is <laughs> for Pool B. We've got Ireland in first place on 10 points, South Africa in second place on nine points. Scotland yet to get any points so far. They haven't won a game. Um, same with Tonga and Romania. So... Big weekend coming up this following this coming weekend. I think it's the Ireland versus South Africa game, um, mm. which everyone is very much looking forward to. Just wanted to say uh, briefly on South Africa. So we put that game on on would have been Sunday night, and we watched the first maybe ten minutes, and it was already four tries down by that point. It was like, okay, this is yeah. I don't think we need to see much more. South Africa just looked mm. absolutely dominant, but they had in their twenty three. Four scrum halves. Now, what when South Africa named their their World Cup squad, they had four scrum halves listed, and everyone's going, "What's going? What's doing here, guys? You don't need four. And then they roll them all out in their first game against Romania. What's going on there? That was it was great. And, and Faf, I mean, Faf, as we kind of predicted in that last um in our in our wind up um earlier last week, you know, Faftiklet came in off the bench as a reserve half uh, as reserve fly half and did really well. Kicked off the tee. Um, had a couple of try assists actually from 10, which is terrifying. Uh, and then Grant Williams, if you've seen him in URC for the Sharks, he is electric and scored a couple of brilliant tries for them and showed his pace again on the wing. So very much in that, you know, Francois Holgaard mode of having a versatile um, winger halfback. But look, the box aren't doing too much wrong with their campaign. If we were in their shoes, I'm sure we'd be very happy having um, four Tate McDermott's running around for us. Yeah, well, that's right. And, and Ireland as well, at this point in the competition, won both of their games with a bonus point. So they're going to be tested this week against South Africa, and it's going to be really exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. But we will do our preview later in the week when we get to the wrap-up, or the wind-up, sorry. Uh, pool C, which is the Wallabies pool. So we've mentioned it already, 15-22 to Fiji there. Uh, but the other game of the round was Wales and Portugal. Now, as Lockie did sort of mention in our review of the Australia game, the final score was 28-8 to Wales, but it didn't really reflect, the score doesn't really reflect how much uh, of a fight Portugal put up or how easy it might have seemed Wales did this one. I, I have nothing but contempt for Wales at this World Cup, I've got to be honest. Um, they didn't deserve to beat Fiji. They didn't deserve to beat Portugal. And I hope we absolutely pants them this weekend because they needed 82 minutes to put a bonus point on Portugal. Um, it, realistically, I've seen nothing in attack that really scares me. Um, Portugal left eight points out there as well um, from kicks. 
So it could have been a lot closer, but I thought their um, their fullback, um, Suzu Gedge, I think, was brilliant. He had a couple of great carving lines. Um, you know, the Welsh didn't do themselves any favours. Johnny Williams um, got yellow carded their centre and he had a bit of a mare as well. Um, <laughs> just... There's nothing nothing out of that Welsh performance scared me. In fact, the highlight, the whole highlight was the Portuguese try, which is a really exciting um, interplay off the top of the line out back towards the flanker coming through. Um, I think it was Nicholas Marta ended up scoring the try and the place just erupted. So super stoked for Portugal. Is that the one where they throw it off the top and then go to the, the guy coming through? Did that yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was a great, great, little, great little interplay. Yeah. Um, so really, really happy for them. Um, you know, a, a couple of, you know, sort of pluggers tries um, for Wales. Uh, Dewey Lake, their co-captain, burrowed over. Um, there was a pretty good, you know, chip and chasey grubber try from Lewis Rees Zammett, who's quickly becoming my least favourite player for being a total tool. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Falatau gets a try off the scrum in overtime to steal a bonus point. So I don't think Wales deserved a bonus point. Um, Portugal, I'm really excited to watch and almost a little worried to see how we go and if we can get a bonus point against them, um, given our record over the past two weeks. But yeah, no no fear from Wales out of that game. Which we may need, as we said before. So uh, the standings currently for Pool C after two weeks of play, we've got Wales on 10 points with two bonus points. We've got Fiji in second place on six points. Um, they've also got two bonus points, one losing bonus point um, against Wales in week one. Australia uh, is also on six points, but because Fiji did beat us, they're ahead of us on the table. We have two bonus points as well. And then we have Georgia and Portugal following up the table currently yet to get a win. Now, what I'm hopeful for moving forward in, uh, for Paul C and a team that we can all get behind, Georgia. I, I think Georgia has... They've had the week off this week, so they're going to come into this next few weeks really firing. Uh, it's going to be a real test to see if Fiji can uh, back up against Portugal after their win against Australia this week. I think they play Fiji next week. Is that that's correct? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm not holding my breath, but how good would it be to see Georgia push Fiji all the way and potentially cause an upset? If it was to happen, I think Georgia, they, they've done it in the past, and let's see if they can pull another miracle out of the hat. But if they could take a win off Wales, that would be... So good from an Aussie perspective. Oh, exactly. And we saw them go to Cardiff and beat them at Millennium Stadium not long ago. So I'm putting a lot of very hopeful eggs in that basket. I don't necessarily want to see Fiji knocked out of contention. I think I'm firmly pitted against the Welsh. Um, sorry to any Welsh listeners out there. Squidge, how you going? Um, but yeah, we'll be back in the Lilos in that game. And then if Portugal can, you know, pull out some tricks, maybe keep a bonus point off Fiji, things like that. Anything they can do to help, it's now becoming a team effort to get the Wallabies into the quarterfinals. <laughs> well, let's go to Pool D. Uh, now, Ando isn't here this week, so we'll um, we'll do the Pool D coverage on his behalf. Now, we had Samoa getting their first um, taste of World Cup in 2023. They had a victory over Chile, 43-10. to 10. Um, and the second game of the week, we had England up against Japan and England got the chocolates there, 34 to 12. Um, touching on that first game, Samoa versus Chile, what did you think of Samoa's performance? Uh, it was pretty good. It was a slow start, I've got to be honest. Um, yeah, they really didn't assert themselves until that second half. So uh, Chile got out to a lead again. Um, they scored first, uh, Rodrigo Fernandez. 
a great fun name to say, <laughs> um, set up a great try for Detus, um, and then there was a brain fart afterwards from um, Adelaide product, actually, Usage Citini, um, who got sent off um, with a yellow card. Um, but I was down to Christian Liliafano keeping them ticking over at the start. He kicked four from four and then five from five in the first half, four penalties in a row. And then Duncan Payawa scoring, you know, just on the stroke of half time, a nice long range try, um, really put them in a prominent position. Um, so from the 42nd minute, um, you know, through to the 51st, there was, you know, one, two, three punch, try after try after try, and the game got away from Chile. So a bit of a, a bit of a late, um, start, slow start than Samoa would like. Um, but yeah, plenty to like about Manu Samoa. Um, a couple of highlights from the Chilean side. Uh, Domingo Saavedra ironed out Liliofano in one of the best tackles of the tournament so far. If you go through and watch the mini, keep an eye out for that. It's spectacular. <laughs> Textbook stuff. Um, and then, uh, what's his name? Um, Esteban Inostroza, who was the reserve tight head for Los Condors, um, has the worst haircut oh, yes. in Rugby World Cup history. Um, the sort of top knot mullet combination with a bit of a beard and also had the shortest time on field. He got uh, yellow carded after about a minute. <laughs> so um, a couple of little highlights there. Anything stand out to you from this game, Mitch? Oh, it was just as an Aussie um, and particularly watching the Wallabies performance against Fiji. It was kind of hoping to have the performances of Christian Leliafano or Duncan Payawa <laughs> playing in the for the boys in gold and and. You know, if we had their performance against Chile, against Fiji, we might have come a little bit closer than what we actually ended up seeing. So uh, what could have been... Yeah, imagine having a measured um, a measured veteran fly half to call upon. Exactly. Uh, like Lily Fano exactly. in a different world, That's maybe. Right. Uh, but no, stoked for Samoa. I think their slow start is probably just typified by their, their first week off in this competition. There's... A lot of new faces in this Samoan team. We've got players coming in from Australia, from uh, from uh, New Zealand. Some some guys coming in that haven't really been in the setup for a while for Samoa and getting their opportunity at the World Cup um, for their home nation. Pretty emotional. You could tell from the anthems that some of these players getting to play for their mother country uh, for the first time, particularly if they have caps for New Zealand or Australia, you could definitely tell that it meant something to them to be able to to uh, play for Samoa in this World Cup. So I'm expecting them to be better in coming weeks and to sort of build into this tournament. Uh, but, you know, 43 to 10 is not a bad score by any means. So uh, I think they'll be pretty happy with that. Absolutely. And then looking over at the next game with England, Japan, I don't think you can find a more contrasting style. You know, Samoa, you know, building nicely through the first half and then Great attacking rugby. And England, once again, undeserving of a bonus point try and just boring me to tears. It was an awful game from the English in these gross, greasy conditions that suited them and their greasy pom fans. Well, at least they scored and a try, then, right? They didn't just kick all their points this week. They scored four and all of them were rubbish. <laughs> Let me go through these tries. Let me go through these tries. You'll write them down. I was really upset by them all. First one comes off the back of a Japanese line at error five metres out, gets picked up, crashed over. Nothing on them. The game breaks open when Joe Marler gets falconed by a pass, bounces off his head, everyone stops playing, and Courtney Laws picks it up with his you know, size 84 hands <laughs> and dots it down under the post. So that's rubbish. 
Um, then we had Ford, you know, willingly just kicking it to a um, uh, Freddie Stewart, who just squeezes it in touch. So you know, one on one kick. I don't think that's creative rugby. And then finally, after full time, there's a decent constructed try, and um, uh, Joe Marchant goes over. But the first two were just awful. The score flattered England. Um, only decent players, I thought, from the Poms. George Ford again. You know, he's doing exactly what he's told. He's sitting back in the pocket. He's kicking it to the outhouse and the back row is doing all the work cleaning up. So Courtney Laws has been great. Um, ben Earl is a good find, plays sort of six and eight from what I can see, and a bit of seven. Um, but the Japanese, I felt for them because they play really good, expansive rugby. It just wasn't suited to the conditions. They dropped a lot of pill um, and they could have had it. It was, you know, the score was 13-12 after 50 minutes before England sort of had their little Marla had a breakthrough <laughs> and, um, and ended up running away with it. In a, in a different world, this is the miracle of Brighton all over again. Um, it's a, it's yeah, a I don't know trend that's starting to happen in this World Cup of play the whistle. Now, we saw that in the opening mm. game uh, against France and New Zealand that when uh, there was a lot of the like that pass from Rico Yuani, which was it forward, was it not? Whatever it was, all the French players stopped and sort of started going like, the forward pass, what? What are you doing? And Rico goes in. Well, um, sorry, Jordan goes in and scores the try. You got to play the whistle. Mm. Keep playing, even if you think it's a knock on, even if you think it's a forward pass. Got to keep playing. This is a World Cup. You can't be um, fooled by things like that. Uh, so let's look at the. No, sorry, did you have anything else around that game? I was just, I was just going to say there was one really great um, play from the from the Japanese that I'd love to highlight. So even in greasy conditions, you know, it was gross, it was hot, it was slippery, um, ball was like a cake of soap. But the Japanese still went the length of the field on the brilliant counter-attack. Um, you know, Kataru Matsushima, hero of the 2019 World Cup, um, carved through. And then, you know, Aussie expat Dylan Riley linked up as well. They went about 80 metres and just coughed up the ball. And that was, you know, only... A couple of minutes after Marla's header, so you know if they cross there, maybe we're looking at a different score. But Japan now facing a pretty tough ask to get out of their pool. They've still got games against Argentina um, and Samoa to come, and you'd have to think that you know England are almost home and hose now out of this pool. So very interested to see how the ladder in front of us plays out. Yeah. So looking at the ladder, we've got England in first place on nine points. They've got one bonus point so far, but two wins. Samoa in second place with one bonus point, one win um, on five points. Japan also on five points, uh, one win and one bonus point. We then have Argentina currently on zero points. They've only played one game. They did have the bye this week. And then Chile coming up the, uh, the rear, two games played, no bonus points. Um, so interesting to see how Argentina can bounce back after their opening game against England. Not the the style of play that they would have wanted to bring, not the opening to this World Cup they would have wanted. A lot of people were expecting Argentina to come in and, and blow England away and to get a pretty dominant win there. They didn't do that, and England came away with the the victory there. In some ways, I think it's probably a good thing that they got this break now so that they can really regather, regroup, focus on a few different things and just launch into the rest of this tournament and see if they can give it a red-hot crack. Anything else you wanted to say around uh, any of the games from... This week, or should we move on into uh, the final bit of our podcast? 
I think that's pretty comprehensive. Let's rip into the wider World Cup chat. All right, let's go. All right, so we've done our review of round of week two of the Rugby World Cup 2023, and I wanted to take an opportunity to look forward to the future. Now, there has been some news that's come out in the following in the past week or so uh, around Rugby World Cup 27 uh, that's being played in Australia. Now, it's been talked about where the final is going to be played for uh, World Cup 27 in Australia, whether it's in uh, Melbourne, whether it's in Sydney, whether it's in well, most likely it won't be in Brisbane, whether it's in Perth. Now, it was expected that that final was going to be announced by the end of this year's tournament. So in the next few weeks, they were going to announce it. World Rugby has come out and said that they've actually put off announcing where that final is going to be played until sometime next year because they're starting to review the uh, the format of World Cup 27 and 29 moving forward. Maybe not so much 29 at this stage, but they're wondering whether they expand the competition to include four extra teams. So currently in 2023 uh, and what we've had up until this point, we've got five pools with four, te- uh, four pools, sorry, with five teams in each. Uh, what we're, what World Rugby is uh, suggesting is increasing the number to 24 teams uh, by 2027. Lockie, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. What do you think of the idea of it including more teams in the World Cup? And how do you think would be the best way to do that? I mean, the first, first look at it is I like it. I think the more teams that play in it, um, the more we can grow and expand our audience across the world, um, the more product we have to offer um, as the host nation. That's you know more games that we can put on, more venues that can host, um, a great opportunity for people to access that. And also it's um, commercially. I think obviously you're looking at, what, 20 extra games? If you add in, you know, a, a sixth team to each pool, yeah, about that, um, with the five games in each, yeah, it's something like twenty extra games. So that's massive with regards to you know, you know, in new employees, um, you know, opportunities created by this. So my first instinct is that's really exciting, uh, but then I looked and thought, you know, do we have the depth? We we flagged this earlier in the pod about you know the South Africa Romania game being a bit of a cricket score, New Zealand Namibia. Um, so do we have the depth around the world? And I was looking at some of the teams that didn't make the World Cup this year, and we've got teams like the United States and Canada who are consistent World Cup players that missed out, and I thought, wow, maybe we do. Yeah. But outside of those two countries, could you find me another two that are up to scratch, really? I mean, maybe Spain, maybe Brazil, um, I think Hong Kong was in a repercharge charge against Tonga or it, towards the oh, end of the might have played a previous World Cup at some point. <laughs> and I think... Yeah, the Ivory they're, Coast. They're Ivory Coast played it in 1995. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's, there's potential there, but I think we would need to ensure that, you know, maybe there's a blowout score, but it can't be worse. I think it would be really bad for the game if we saw like a New Zealand, Japan in 95, you know, 145 points racked up or Australia and Namibia in 03, 142. Like that's not good for the game. But I think, you know, bringing in extra teams and the commercial opportunities out of that, that's super exciting to me. Have you got any initial thoughts on it? Well, how would, if that were, I mean, I would love the idea of bringing in more teams. I think uh, when you look at previous World Cups and what a team like Canada or America have done and have brought, 
to those World Cups, it's pretty amazing to think that they didn't even qualify for this one, considering that America's mm. hosting the World Cup in 2032. Like they're the next host yeah. after Australia, and yet they didn't even qualify. Uh, mm. My question is, how do we do it, though? I don't know if just adding an extra team into the bottom of every pool is necessarily going to add as much value as we think it will. Um, as we said, we then get that mismatch of New Zealand against Canada or New Zealand against the Ivory Coast. And we're already seeing with teams like Romania and Namibia that they're getting big scores put against them. I wonder if we, if having more teams opens up the uh, the avenue of going down different pathways of having potentially, and I've seen some people talk on, on social media around almost having two competitions to similar to like a sevens tournament that you have like the world cup and then you have like the world rugby plate or shield or whatever you want to call it, where you play the tournament as it is. Um, but then the teams that make the quarterfinals or the whatever would be the quarterfinals and the semifinals go off. So Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, all those teams go off their one mm-hmm. way, but then the other teams go a separate way. And then you almost have like a tier two nation tournament in on the other side. Maybe that's something for Australia to achieve, to strive towards winning the tier two nation in, in coming years. It'd be really interesting. I think commercially as well, having a separate final series would be super cool like putting on your money hat and saying, you know, how can you know, Australian rugby make the most bang for their buck out of this? It'd be great. But there needs to be buy-in from teams. And I think you run the risk of having potentially a, a tier one nation like a, like a Fiji or a Wales or, you know, a worst case scenario, Australia missing out on a quarterfinals and then, you know, playing Portugal, Chile, Canada and just pumping them on way to a, a shield. So, you know, where's the, where's the buy-in there? I think it would need to be managed how that final structure looked. But I think there's no other way to really add the teams in. I think you have to put an extra team into each pool, have your five pool games rather than four, keep your quarterfinal format, and maybe, you know, your reward for placing third remains automatic qualification to the next World Cup. And then potentially that, you know, fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth ranked teams have an opportunity to play. So maybe you've got a you know, top two go through, then your cup, and then your plate. It could work with that system having six teams in each pool. But, um, yeah, I think these are you know, conversations of people are on a far bigger salary sitting I don't think the idea of having, like, adding an extra team into every pool reduces the need for a bye week. So I don't recall mm. in the past ever having bye weeks before this World Cup. I don't remember the Wallabies having a week off in like week two or three of previous World Cups. And I know that we've introduced it in this World Cup because in the past it ended up falling on some of the lower ranked teams like um, Samoa or or Tonga or Georgia to be backing up and mm. playing those Tuesday, Wednesday games and then having like a four or five day turnaround, which is pretty hard. Um, thing to be going up against in a World Cup. So I don't necessarily yeah. hate the idea of having an extra team slotted in so that we don't have to have that and so we can just have more games mm. rolling through the week. Uh, and then potentially that opens up the avenue of having more games throughout a week. At, at the moment, we kind of have a game in Australia, particularly we have the games that start on sort of Thursday night or Friday, early Friday morning, and then the last games on Monday. Um 
but then you, you've got a few days off. And so it kind of feels like there's a gap where it'd be cool to, to no, see. No, no days off. I want a game every day in the World Cup. So I think I'm all for more players and more teams getting involved. And what a great way to showcase that if it's you know at a home World Cup for Australia to be able to do that with an expanded World Cup, not just for the men's in 27, but if it's possible to do it for our Women's World Cup in 2029, I would love to see some of those nations that are coming up through WXV um, 2 and 3, um, not us because we're WXV 1, yep. um, but yeah, some of these other ranked teams to come through and play in Australia in an expanded World Cup. I think that would be brilliant to see you know 20 um, teams you know, competing at a Women's World Cup as opposed to, I think we had 12. Um, over in New Zealand, yeah. I think that'd be a, a massive stamp on the game, and it ties in quite nicely actually to where we're heading. Next. I was just going to say before we finish up on this, putting our Aussie hats on and, and thinking a, a bit more um, of ourselves for a minute, how good would it be for as Australian rugby fans based in Australia for twenty twenty seven for there to be games all throughout the week that for the entirety of the tournament we could just be travelling around Australia and going to games every single day for a month and a half. How good would that be? That is that is a dream. That is literally the dream. If I can waltz down after a couple of beers to the train and catch it down to Suncorp, watch Australia pump the minnows New Zealand in a pool game, um, <laughs> head on home. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be lovely to see it all happen. Um, but yeah, and being able to showcase the game in places like, you know, take a World Cup up to Darwin, take a World Cup game down to Hobart. Yep. You know, let's see if we can play at some of these bigger places like like in Newcastle or leverage some of the smaller boutique stadiums around the country. I just think there's so much opportunity. And if Australia can be the country that champions that through the next um, World Cups in 27 and 29, I'm fully on board. Fantastic. Well, let's finish things off with the Wallaroos. And they have announced their squad for uh, the Laura O'Reilly Cup and then the World's 15-1. I think that's how you say it. um, Or Tier 1 that's coming up um, later this year. So... For those that are on uh, YouTube, you can see the team up in front of us. The first thing I wanted to say, purely just from a graphical perspective, how good have the Wallaroos done here? And it is similar graphic to what the the Wallabies did earlier in this year and and put out, but I haven't seen a physical sticker book yet like this. And I'm calling out to RA, they need to make one because I will be spending my hard-earned cash on this. It looks fantastic. It looks so good. And props to the graphics team. I think that's Oscar, Matt, shout out to you. Um, but it looks it looks sensational, and I want to see them in you know on the back of kids you know textbooks at school, exercise books. Um, yeah, chuck them in a wheat box, yep. you know wherever we can get this design because it looks great. Well, maybe inside a, a Cadbury's so favorites. Well. That's probably weird. Yeah, Cadbury's favorites, yeah, that'd be good, <laughs> really good actually. Um, but uh, look, the more that we can share this stuff around, the better because it looks great. The girls are going to be brilliant over for O'Reilly Cup. Um, it's a massive challenge, obviously, taking on the Black Ferns, especially given, you know, we got a bit of a touch-up last time in Redcliffe, um, but a super exciting opportunity. And um, yeah, a couple of changes I'll quickly flag before we wrap up. I know we've been going for a while, but we've got four uncapped players in the squad. Um, Mel Wilkes, who's, um, you know, Bond Uni Queensland player, who's been carving up along here. She was um, one of the best on ground in the recent QPR final with a Bond 1. Um, you've also got Desiree Miller, who's um, been retained in this squad, even though she hasn't debuted yet. You know, huge season with the Tars, as you've flagged in the past. Um, plus um, front row, Brianna Hoy, and second row, Leilani Nathan, um, all Tars that have been included too. So some some big ins there. Um, a big out is still Piper Duck. Mm. Um, the ankle injury um, has persisted, gone under the knife. 
But I thought Michaela Leonard's been able to do a pretty good job stepping up. He's been great. You know, yeah. Since Piper's taken over and um, obviously without Shannon Parry in the mix anymore. Um, so, yeah, Big Mac Leonard's running the cutter there um, in the second row and um, some you know, really exciting games coming up because it, as um, it says up on the tin, this isn't just a squad for O'Reilly Cup. This is for WXV. Um, you have three massive games against England, France and Wales. And this is you know, outside of a World Cup. And for many of these players, this will be the biggest you know, two months in their playing career. Yep. Now, there's one question I had for you, and we've seen it uh, in the Wallabies earlier this year, this utility position. Um, it's now <laughs> moved across into the Wallaroos. So we have uh, Sio Capesi Palu from the Brumbies, who's been announced as a utility player. Now, what does that mean for those that aren't as across women's rugby? Where do we expect her to be playing for the Wallaroos? That's an interesting one. I hadn't tweaked that before. Uh, well, Pessy usually plays in the centres, from what I've seen. And if memory serves me correct, she was playing 13 or 12 for the Brumbies throughout this year and playing really well. Um, perhaps that lends itself as a backline utility. I, I don't know if Pessy's ever played in the pack. I'd have to go back and do my homework. Um, I certainly don't think it's a Josh Kemeny situation or a Ben Donaldson where you pretty much know where they're going. Um, but yeah, I'm interested. I'll have to I'll have to check that one out. I wonder if that is uh, Jay Tregoning's idea or whether Eddie Jones, as as his so-called like advisor of women's rugby, uh, when he came into the thing, said, you know, you need to, you need to name a utility too because that's what we do in Australian rugby now. We just have utilities, positionless rugby. That's where we're at. <laughs> 15 aside, and you just let them run free. Yeah. Hopefully we see a bit more strategy in this one. Let's hope so. Well, let's uh, let's finish things things off there. Um, very much looking forward to seeing the Wallaroos uh, grace our screens again. It's been a few weeks since we've seen them pull on the, the gold jersey. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing if they can get up against New Zealand and get their first ever victory against uh, the Black Ferns, which is going to be a massive task for them, but very much behind them all the way. Thanks for getting to this point of the podcast. We will be back in your feeds later this week when we do our previews for week three uh, in the wind-up for some big, big games coming up this weekend of Rugby World Cup action. So Huge games. Very much looking forward to uh, previewing those and seeing how we we go, whether we go with our heads or with our hearts this week, Lockie. Have a think now before we get to to the preview later in the weeks. No thought. I'm going with my heart. I'm backing the bloody wallabies and so should you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week. I'll see you then. Bye. Bye.